0: Well, good morning once again. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, Chapter 15? Once again, if you're new with us, we welcome you. Just so you know, we are working our way through John's Gospel here at Calvary on Sunday morning. And we have entered into Chapter 15, but as we have pointed out, Chapters 13 through 16 constitute Jesus' farewell, his his final words to his closest men, before his crucifixion, his farewell address, if you will. And the evening began in an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem, where Jesus and his disciples were celebrating the Passover together, the Feast of Passover. Now, before the meal began, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, giving them an example of servanthood rooted in sacrificial love that he hoped they would imitate going forward. You can read chapter 13 and find out Uh, the events that led to his washing of their feet. It was after that, that he, after he washed his feet, giving them a great illustration of servanthood, servanthood rooted in God's sacrificial love. It was after that that he gave to them a new commandment, a new commandment to obey, as those who would soon be taking up the ministry after Jesus would return back to his father. In John 13, Verses 34 and 5, he said, and I quote, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love. The Greek is fervent love for one another. Now, guys, I don't know if that was the main theme of these final chapters before his crucifixion. I do know as I've studied them, is one of the main themes. The main thing, God's love, was something He was trying to drive home into their hearts one more time. Uh, you know, these are His final words. He was going to the cross in a few hours. And whenever you're facing death and you are with the people you love most in the world, you're not going to give them some kind of, you know, where you're talking about the weather or the cubs, God forbid, you know. You're talking about something that's substantive, something that, really matters and of course these were the the ideas the 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 themes embodied in this closing farewell address and love has to be if if not the most important theme of that discourse one of the most important for sure a theme that he started in chapter 13 and now uh, goes on to elaborate more in chapter 15 in a discourse we have called the vine and the branches as the Lord Jesus teaches this extremely important discourse on the subject of bearing fruit in the Christian life remember the main fruit we touched on this last week the main fruit is the fruit of agape love God's love all right at this point in the evening Jesus and his disciples have now left the upper room we saw that at the end of chapter 14 and making their way through the streets of Jerusalem, and then finally through the temple precinct, they come to two large bronze doors that led out of the city. Uh, these doors were made of bronze, but in the light of the sun, they shimmered like gold, which is why together they were called the Golden Gate. This was the gate uh, that they needed to exit the city to get to the Mount of Olives, which contained a specific garden that where Jesus would go and spend the remaining hours in prayer before his arrest, that would be in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, as they came to the Golden Gate, also known as the Eastern Gate, Jesus stops. Now, this is not recorded specifically in the Gospels, but I'm just giving you what I and many others think happened. As they're walking through the streets of Jerusalem, the temple precinct, they come to these two bronze doors. And in the light of the full moon, Passover always took place during the full moon. I believe Jesus stopped and pointed to some very ornate grapevine carvings that history tells us had been carved on these two bronze doors. Very elaborate, very beautiful. And I believe in the light of the full moon, Jesus looks at them, and that became the impetus for him launching into what we have called the vine and the branches discourse. We might have that wrong. Maybe that wasn't what motivated him to give this final discourse. I I believe it is, or it was at least. And um, so let's read the first eight verses. We've been working our way through these for the last several weeks. But uh, let's read them again, where Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. In our last study, we, we started looking at the nature of spiritual fruit and uh, we said last time that, you know, before we look at what spiritual fruit is, I mean, Jesus placed a lot of importance on Christians bearing fruit. It makes sense for us to know what kind of fruit the Lord had in mind, okay? Different concepts. And we said, look, before we look at what is spiritual fruit, let's look at what not, is not spiritual fruit. I mean, the father wants his kids to bear fruit. But that fruit has to be defined as in the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about spiritual fruit, right? And so we took a quick look last time at what Christian fruit is not. Because let's be honest, people shouldn't get artificial fruit confused with the real thing. And last time we said, look, success is not necessarily spiritual fruit, okay? I mean, nowhere in the Bible is Christian fruit synonymous with the size of a church or of a ministry or how prosperous it is, okay? In our study of the book of revelation chapters 2 and 3 when jesus dictated seven letters to seven churches in asia minor he dictated one to a very small struggling poor church named smyrna and uh, very small very persecuted struggling they thought they were failures and certainly in the eyes of the world they would have been looked at as failures jesus looked at them and said no you're a great success because they were poor and persecuted because Not because they were not standing up for the Lord, but because they were standing up. And we talked about that last time. And then you come to chapter 3 in a very prosperous church called Laodicea, who thought they were a great success, right? They were wealthy, they didn't feel they needed anything, big church, and so on. And Jesus said, no, you're actually a failure. In fact, I'm not even in your church. I'm knocking, let me in. I'll come in, and sup with you, you with me, and so on. So I think we'll be shocked when we get to heaven to see what churches and ministries uh, the Lord Jesus commends, and what churches and ministries he, you know, kind of takes to task. Uh, We get to heaven because we believe in Christ, but the rewards are the issue. The rewards are the issue, right? Um, So uh, success. Emotionalism is also not necessarily a fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that when the Holy Spirit is moving, there won't be any emotion, I'm just saying, though, that many Christians tend to think that a high-energy, emotionally charged service is proof that a ministry, uh, or a church, or a preacher, is filled with the Spirit and bearing fruit. Not necessarily, as we pointed out last time, emotionalism and raw energy isn't the fruit of the Spirit. It's often nothing more than a work of the flesh, uh, where pastors and churches become kind of like it's a, kind of like a uh, pep rally. Okay. And that's the the key. Do we want to we want to really juice everybody up and get them all excited? And, and you know, and, and because that's the spirit's there. No, not necessarily. Uh, we have to understand that there's a lot of things that happen on an emotional level. God's not involved in, okay, and so on. And then, of course, if we're talking about genuine spiritual fruit, well, we understand it's not artificial fruit, right? Uh, and I bring that up because there are many uh, uh, people, I should say, that go to church they aren't even saved. Now, when they hang out with Christian people, they want to act like Christian people, right? Christian people are loving, they have joy, they're kind. So, you know, oftentimes they try to replicate that. But it isn't true spiritual. For look, we we're all um savvy enough to understand that, you know, uh if I'm in a group of people, if, I, if I'm going to a church and all and I want to fit in, then I want to look like these folks. Uh and if they're not really connected to Jesus, which means they're not bearing real spiritual fruit, well, they become very good at putting on a facade. Putting on a facade. When Christians try to sim- uh, simulate or imitate genuine spiritual fruit, what they do is they try to tie on artificial fruit. Uh, you know, it may look good. Some, some people are good actors. And uh, boy, they can really come across as the most dynamic uh, Christians, you can you, you might know, but it's an act. It's an act. And um, the fruit may look good from a distance, but it can't provide any spiritual nutrition and life to those who are hungry to know God. good example of this would be the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees came across as the most godly, holy people in all of Israel. The Jews had a saying, If only two people made it into heaven, one would be a scribe, the other a Pharisee because that's how much they consider these men to be the epitome of godly spiritual men but jesus said it's all outward in fact you guys are like whitewashed tombs on the outside you appear all white and clean and holy but inside you're full of hypocrisy and defilement and so on god sees the heart right but people are very good at coming across like genuine spirit-filled christians when they're not now This could apply to real Christians, too, by the way, as I was telling first service. You know, as a a genuine believer in Christ, sometimes we go through periods where we backslide. Well, we're just not feeling as close to the Lord as other times, right? Not that we don't love the Lord. It's not that we're playing games and we're just being a, we're genuinely a hypocrite. No, no, we love the Lord. It's just there are times in our Christian life, for whatever reason, we kind of cool in our relationship with the Lord. We backslide a little bit, you know? And maybe we get back into the world a little bit. I mean, I'm not talking about with both feet, but I'm saying, you know, you get back watching some of the old programs, listening to some of the old music, uh, hanging out with some of the old crowd. You know, you're not in a good place spiritually. But you come to church, and you don't want people to see how you're not doing that good. So we put on the facade. And sometimes we get good at that. But look, we can fool men. We can fool women. But we can't fool God. And God wants us to be real. If we're having, if we're in a valley, if our walk has become dry, right? Don't pretend it's something it's not. Get in your face before God and pray with a broken heart until it becomes a ra- reality that you're on fire for God once again, right? All right. So what spiritual fruit is not? Let's look at the rest of our time this morning what spiritual fruit is. I've taken these from the New Testament, and I think I've gotten all of them i might be wrong you might find some more great um but i've, I've found six things that the new testament actually refers to as fruit and I'll, I'll give them to you let me just say this before we begin real spiritual fruit takes time to cult and, and cultivation if it's going to grow and develop into something beautiful right um what i mean what i mean by cultivation is if, you're, if we're going to bear genuine spiritual fruit in our lives then we have to develop a strong devotional life you know we can't just wing it we can't just before we run out of the house to work we open the Bible pick a couple of verses okay I have my devotions off we go anything that's going to be in our life that's going to grow into something beautiful beautiful has to we have to invest some time in it if your spiritual walk is really important, you'll invest time in it. You will be in the Word. You'll come to church. You'll you'll be a person of prayer. Maybe even having a little prayer group you're uh, involved in during the week. You can call each other or do a Zoom prayer meeting or something. But you'll be putting the effort in. It won't be just running in here on Sunday morning, running out, and that's pretty much it for the week. The more you cultivate a strong devotional life, the greater the fruit's going to be. The greater the fruit's going to be. It won't happen overnight. But it will happen, and it's going to be lush, ripe, beautiful, and, uh, and all. Uh, but one other thing I want to point out that we touched on last week, <clears throat> we must also remember that the branches, talking about a fruit-bearing tree or even uh, olive uh, uh, vines, the branches do not bear fruit for themselves, right? They bear the fruit for the benefit of others. Right? I mean, an apple tree doesn't produce apples for itself. Okay? The apples are not for its consumption or for its growth in some way. God designed apple trees and fruit-bearing trees and grapevines produ- to produce fruit for others to benefit from. That's one of the main ideas with this, this discourse. This is what Jesus is getting at, not uh, exclusively, but definitely it's one of the main ideas. That we are to bear fruit, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others around us. The, and that's why if we're tying on plastic artificial stuff, people are coming to us that want to know God. They're hungry to know God. We give them a little platitudes because we're not where we should be. Uh, we're disconnected from God. We're backslidden maybe. We're not helping anybody is my point, right? We're not producing fruit to please ourselves or to feed ourselves, but to serve others. All right. Now, since God desires our lives as Christians to produce fruit, look, it becomes vitally important that we know how God himself defines spiritual fruit. Uh, What is he looking for in the lives of his children? Okay, Uh, I'll give you the first one, uh, which is, I think, the most common one we may think about, and that is Christ-like character. Christ-like character. Uh, The fruit of the Holy Spirit we talked about is it was listed in Galatians 5:22 and 3. Let me read those verses again. This is probably one of the main um, places we, uh, we turn to when we think of uh, spiritual fruit, right? Galatians 5:22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. As we pointed out last time, guys, the fruit of the Holy Spirit as listed in Galatians 5 are really just the attributes of God. They are really just the attributes of God. And, and it's important that you understand the end of verse 23, against such, after he lists all these fruit of the Spirit, he says, then against such, Paul does, there is no law. Against such, there is no law. In other words, you can't pass a law ordering people to have divine love or joy, or peace, or any other fruit of the Spirit. I mean, the law of Moses couldn't mandate, uh, God would never have said through Moses, okay, here's a law, you must have joy. I command you to have joy. I command you to have peace, right? I mean, these things are only found in God himself. They are Part of his at, his attributes, which is really his, his divine nature. And the only way for us to have his attributes in our life is to be born of God. And if he's born again, be saved, at which time God moves in. How can I have the attributes of God in my life? I can't reproduce them. I can't fake them. They come from God's uh, uh, nature. How can I have God's fruit that is of God's nature? I have to have God inside of me. And that's what happens when we accept Christ. Uh, God moves in. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And as Peter said in the second epistle, chapter 1, verse 4, at that moment when God moves in, we become partakers of the divine nature. Become partakers of the divine nature. That's how we can have the attributes of God and so on. You see, guys, fruit is life, yeah? It sustains life. It's nourishing but it also contains seeds that have life within them, right? Which means that when those seeds are planted, they produce more fruit. They bring forth more life. You need life to produce life. I mean, we can take apple seeds or or other seeds of fruit bearing trees and all, and plant them and water them and take care of them and eventually they will bring forth fruit. But you had to start with life to create life, right? I mean, if you just said to me, make an apple tree, can I have the seeds? No, just make the tree. I can't make an apple tree. I can't create apples. I have to have life to make life. God designed it that way. He designed all fruit-bearing trees uh, with this principle. In fact, you could trace it back. This tree came before this tree and this, you know, all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God created fruit-bearing trees. At that time, God, the source of all life, infused into his creation that there would be certain plants and trees that would bring forth fruit. And from that time, all the fruit that was eaten, seeds were kept and replanted and they gave forth more trees, more grapevines to produce more fruit. That's how it has always been, Right. Um, man can't produce fruit in the energy of his flesh that's why Paul calls it the fruit of the spirit fruit of the spirit now before Paul contrasted uh, talked about the fruit of the spirit earlier in Galatians 5 he contrasted it with what he called the works of the flesh if you're still in Galatians 5 uh, let's look at verse 19 I'm not sure I had you turn to Galatians 5. That was my fault. So I thought you knew it. You got it memorized. That was, all right. But no, I want you to look at what came before Paul talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We back up to Galatians 5, verse 19. Where Paul said, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. I feel like I'm watching the news. (laughs) Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, uh, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These guys are the corrupt and wicked things our fallen sinful nature produces in our lives. Obviously with some people more than others, okay? But again, Paul refers to these as the works of the flesh because the flesh cannot bring forth life. Paul says, in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. The flesh is simply here, our fallen sinful nature. That's Sometimes the word flesh in the Greek means the physical body, if you look at the context. Most often though, it's talking about our sinful fallen nature. Our sinful fallen nature cannot produce anything good in the eyes of God. Again, in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Right? This is what our fallen nature has produced, wants to continue to produce in the lives in our lives. That's why Paul would go on to say, or said earlier, if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, We have the responsibility to to cultivate a strong devotional life. The more you fill your life with God, the less the devil will be able to stuff in there the works of the flesh, obviously, right? But he contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. One is of the flesh, the other is of God, and can only be produced in the life of a person when God lives inside of them, which happens at the new birth, right? But guys, the fruits of the, of the Spirit are the attributes of God. Or more specifically, for our intent in this series, we could say they are the character traits of Jesus Christ, who is the vine. Okay, Of course, Jesus is God. If these are the attributes of God, they would be the attributes of Christ. So let's just call them the, um, the character traits of Jesus Christ. And guys, they will only be produced in our lives when Jesus lives inside of us through the indwelling holy spirit again that's that happens at the moment of salvation and i believe guys this is the whole point of the vine and branches discourse i believe that primarily yeah he was teaching about spiritual fruit and 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 god's people bearing fruit but if you look at the whole evening if you look at the whole context i believe the lord gave this discourse uh for the most part to differentiate between the true from the false differentiate between the Jesus branches from the Judas branches, as we have called them for the sake of this study. The Jesus branches, of course, were the 11 true disciples that Jesus had in the upper room earlier that evening, those who were really connected to him by saving faith, those who really were going to be bearing and had been bearing the fruit of the Spirit through their lives. There was one who was never really connected to Christ. Jesus said he was never born again. He was never anything else but a child of the devil. His name was Judas. He looked like he was attached to Christ. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. But in the end, the fruit, quote unquote, he produced was nothing more than a work of the flesh. He betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver. There are those who come to church who love Jesus, who are connected to him through sa- They're genuinely born again. Your lives have changed as an evidence of it, right? You've been bearing fruit ever since the day you received Christ into your heart. And whenever that was, your fruit has remained. Oh, we may have backslid here and there once in a while, but overall, as, as we look at our lives and as people look at our lives, they say, They're, you're not the same person I used to know 20 years ago. No, that's true, because I'm a Christian, and Jesus has changed my life. The fruit is there, and that it bears witness that I'm really connected to him. A person like Judas is a churchgoer who comes to the church for who knows how long, claims to re- have received Christ, claims to be a born-again Christian. It's only a superficial attachment. They haven't really given their heart to Christ. Oh, and they put on a good facade. They're good actors, some of them. They can really make you think they're the greatest Christian that walks the face of the earth. God knows the heart. And that's what we have to be careful that we are genuinely Jesus' branches, not Judas' branches. That was the whole point of this discourse, to teach these men that when you go, when you take up the work after I'm gone, back to the Father, you are going to have Judas' branches to deal with. He also called them tares among the wheat. You're going to have people the devil's going to bring in to water down your witness, to sap away energy and strength, be on guard it's going to happen and first and foremost make sure that you examine your own heart that you're genuinely connected to me because a lot of folks go to church and are not saved and they're going to stand before me in the day of judgment someday and they're going to say to me Lord Lord have we not cast out demons and worked miracles and done wonders and in your name and he's going to say to them I never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness you don't want to stand before Jesus Christ on that day and hear those words. Today is the day you get your life right with God. Today is the day of salvation. If you, And if you're not sure, you better get in your face and, and honestly bring your heart before the Lord. We're good at deceiving ourselves. God knows the truth. Please, don't take for granted your walk. If there's no real fruit, I mean, I'm talking about not Sunday morning so much as the rest of the week. You need to get your life right with God right now. But Jesus is teaching here that as born-again Christians, God desires to produce the life of Christ in us. And that happens as we abide in the vine, as we abide in Jesus. A very important concept. We'll study that going forward. But uh, once again, the way to fruitfulness in the Christian life is through the Holy Spirit living within us. One of the most frustrating endeavors uh, in the world is to try to bear the fruit of the spirit through our own strength and raw determination that's one of the most frustrating things in the world jesus said it would happen naturally if you're really connected to me and you keep abiding in me the fruit's going to be there you don't have to strain and grunt and groan and it's just going to happen but for those folks who are not really connected to christ they're always pretending they're always you know playing the part it gets exhausting It gets exhausting. It's frustrating, too, because a lot of these folks really want to be the kind of Christian they see in church. Oh, man, why can't I be more like her? Or why can't I be more like him? They're always talking about the Lord. They're on fire. Me, where am I? Well, that's a good question. Self-examination is important. Where are you? I think it's important to ask ourselves that question once in a while. You know, am I playing games? Or do I really love the Lord? Have I really made a commitment to him? Nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing to do every once in a while. All right. So Christlike character, guys, is the first fruit that the Father wants to produce in the in our lives as His children. The second one is personal holiness. Now, holiness I think has fallen on hard times in our culture. Holiness is uh, obviously a very important uh, fruit of the Spirit, but uh, it's not one that many Christians today actively pursue uh you know uh they they're looking for other things uh you know just i don't know peace joy um you know you know uh self-control i'm in bondage to alcohol or drugs i want to be free of it i want self-control right uh but this is not this is such an important subject but not one that many christians think is important enough to pursue. If we had a, a church building with a marquee out in front, the message on the marquee was uh, how to walk in holiness. Uh, I'm convinced most people would walk in the other direction we'd have pretty much an empty church. Because they're like, you know, t- teach me how to be successful. Uh, teach me how to have joy. How to have peace. Uh, and so, on. you know. But the idea is that holiness uh, is, well, In so many ways, it's the key to everything else. All right, but uh, I'll I'll just read you these. You can write them down, okay? Um, Romans 6.22, But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, now that we're saved, this is Paul's idea here, you have your, listen, fruit to holiness, and in the end, everlasting life. The word holiness comes from a Greek word that literally means to be set apart to be set apart. It is often translated sanctify or sanctification in the New Testament. Uh, In a practical sense, it simply means, you know, moving away from the world, separating from the world, and drawing closer and closer to God. That's what it is in a nutshell, okay? And let me say this to you. um, The more you draw away from the world, the more holy you will become. Some groups want to give you a list of what you have to stay away from or not do to be holy. And so, depending on the group, the list is pretty long. Okay? I mean, I've seen these lists. Okay, you can't smoke, can't drink, can't go to the theater. Uh, you can't have, guys can't have your hair too long. Girls, you can't have your dresses too short. I mean, it gets pretty, I mean, some of that's valid, but uh, look, if you keep drawing closer and closer to Jesus every day, what's gonna happen is he's gonna be working in your heart so that the world has less and less of a hold on you. You know? Um, that beautiful hymn we used to sing, um, uh, you know, drawing close to Jesus in the morning, you know, give me Jesus. Drawing close to Jesus. And as I do, the things of the world will go strange, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, if we would just focus on drawing close to the Lord, being in the word, loving him with all our heart. It's like Augustine said, you know? He said, uh, love God and then do whatever you want. What do you mean? Well, if you really love God, the things you want to do are going to honor God. Right? I mean, I don't have to give you a list. What do you? You're not infants. You're not, you know, kindergarten spiritually speaking. We're adults, and I'm not going to give you a list. Try to control your life. I just want you to draw close to Jesus, and as you draw close to Him out of love, well, His Spirit will fill you more and more. And then he'll tell you, God will tell you what honors him and what doesn't honor him. It'll be between you and, and him. Okay? But it does basically mean moving away from the sinfulness of the world closer to closer to God. Closer and closer to God. Second Corinthians seven verse one, Paul said, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is what Paul's talking about. Moving away from the world and drawing close to God, and as we do, we cleanse ourselves more and more from the filthiness of the flesh of the world, and we start to perfect holiness in the fear, the respect, the awe of God. Look, holiness is another attribute of God, possibly the defining attribute of God. Why do I say that? Well, because we've been studying Revelation in chapter 4, you remember how John was, uh, was raptured to heaven. And he sees the, uh, the throne of God. And as he's looking at the throne of God, he sees that around the throne are four living creatures. They're uh, a very high-level form of angels called seraphim. And they do nothing day and night without fail. All they do is say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was not is, who is to come. All day long, like you said, don't they get bored? The thing about heaven is, I believe, you'll never get bored. The one millionth time you praise the Lord will be just like the first time you got to heaven and praised the Lord. How does that work? I don't know. We'll, we'll find out when we get there. Okay? I don't think you'll ever be bored in heaven. I, I think I don't think you can be in the presence of God and have anything but fullness of joy for eternity. I don't think there'd be any yawning in heaven, not like in our church services. A lot of that's me. I take responsibility for a lot of that. Um, but but they, they say holy, 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 right? They don't say love, 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 or mercy, mercy, mercy. You know, in, in theology, it's technically wrong to pit one attribute of God against another. Because the idea is, if God is anything, he is all of that thing. If he has any mercy, he has all mercy. If he has any love, he has all love. He's not. He's never limited. He can't be as God, limited in anything. So to say he's more holy than he is love or mercy is technically wrong. But, why do the angels keep saying, holy, holy, holy? Why didn't they say, holy, holy, holy? Mercy, 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 love, love, love. I mean, why didn't they just go through a litany of God's attributes? No, the Focus on holiness. To me, if there is such a thing as a defining attribute, that's it. Holiness, right? It is an attribute of God. Or in other words, it's only found in him, in his nature. And what that means for us is that we can't manufacture holiness in the strength of our flesh. We can't manufacture. It's something we can't replicate. It's not a work of our flesh. The Pharisees tried to replicate holiness in their own strength, and Jesus called them hypocrites. Holiness, guys, is a spiritual fruit that grows in and through our lives once we are connected to Jesus through salvation, and then listen, and then listen, and then every day thereafter we abide in Him, in the, vi- in the vine. Holiness will just grow. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a very important thing, though, And again, a lot of Christians, although they understand the Bible teaches holiness, um, they either misdefine it or ignore it or something else, right? But listen to what, and I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, listen to what Paul said in Hebrews 12, verse 14. He's talking to Christians now that we should pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one is going to see the Lord. Uh-oh. It's pretty important, isn't it? If you didn't think holiness was an important thing, I think after we read this, I think we should ramp it up, our concept. Look, since true holiness can only come to our lives when the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us. In other words, we're born again, right? You might say that holiness... Is the Christian's passport into heaven? I'm not saying Saint Peter, you know, is standing by the gates of heaven. And when you get up there, the first thing is you to say, "Uh, oh, where's your passport?" Now the world does that, you know, try to go to a concert or a bar. People do. I don't worry about that, but you know, they say, "Where's your passport? Your COVID passport?" This is way better than a COVID. Pa- yeah, you, you knew I had to work in <laughs> COVID somehow. Okay. But, you know, the world asks for your COVID passport. The Lord gives you a passport called holiness. And the reason it's our passport to heaven is because we can't have true holiness without the Spirit of God, which means you're saved, right? If you don't have true holy, without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord, which means you, the only way you're not going to have any holiness is if the Spirit of God is not living in you. He's the Holy Spirit, right? He becomes our passport, our our stamp of authenticity that I'm a child of God. And he has reserved a place for me in heaven that's never going to fade away. Waiting for me and you right now, right? All right, the third uh, spiritual fruit we see that the Father wants produced in our lives is Christian giving. Christian giving. Ro- Romans 15, verse 28. Paul said, therefore, when I have... Uh, uh, he said, therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, he's calling this a fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. Uh, Paul was referring in this, uh, this uh, uh, passage, Romans 15, he was referring to an offering that he had been gathering among the Gentile churches for the poor saints in Jerusalem, uh, Jewish believers who had gone, were going through a, a terrible drought and famine. And so Paul, wanting to unify the Jewish and Gentile Christians, churches, uh, went around to the Gentile areas, Asia Minor and other places, saying, look, it would be a great show of unity if you could just give of your resources to help the saints in Jerusalem. It uh, would really bring unity in the body of Christ and would really be helping them. And, of course, the Gentile church were only too happy to, to, to give to their Jewish brethren. Okay? And, but that's the context, guys that, you know what, giving to people in need, especially other Christians in need, is a fruit that is born in our lives once we're connected to Jesus. John said in 1 John three seventeen, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's that main fruit we talked about, the love of God. Uh, guys, the love of God always manifests itself in giving. In giving. It's, it's not feelings-oriented, right? God so loved the world that he what? He felt sorry for us because we blew it? No, he, he, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? This is the mark of a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. You have a heart to help people in need, hurting people, especially the body of Christ look before we got saved what did we care if Christians were suffering in China well really what do we care about that now that we're saved and we hear that you know Christians especially have gone through a, uh, a, a tsunami or something that has devastated a, a, you know, a um, typhoon or something that's devastated that part of the world we've never met these people but we have a connection through the Holy Spirit. And we rush medicine and medical people and offerings to that area to help. It's a fruit of our relationship with the Lord. Giving, Christian giving. Um, you know, I mean, before we got saved, you know, probably we were focused on our self, pretty much, what we wanted. Now, I didn't think about anybody else, many of us. Some did. But, um, but when you accept Christ, everything changes one of the things that changes is you have a heart to give now. Okay, generosity. Number four, fourth spiritual fruit. I'll give these quickly. is Christian service. Christian service. Colossians 1 verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, uh, fully pleasing him, being fruitful. Again, fruitful. Paul is talking about all these different things that are fruit in the eyes of God, being fruitful in every good work. He's talking about Christian service. My my prayer for you is that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. This is what pleases the Father, fruit. Being fruitful in every good work. Guys, we have been saved to serve. Pretty obvious, basic. We haven't been saved to sit. We haven't been called to be spectators. We have been called to serve. And God has gifted every child of God with gift or gifts that are to be used in service to him. We are, and, and, and Paul made this clear in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. He said, we've been saved to serve. He said, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not the not of works, lest any should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them God had our lives all planned before we were ever born Paul said this I was called into ministry while I was still in my mother's womb what does that mean well the family Paul was going to be born into a Jewish family where his dad was a was a a Pharisee Uh, not all Pharisees were bad some of them were genuinely sincere guys Uh, but Paul says you know Uh, the area I was born into, Jewish family, but born into a Gentile area. Grew up among Gentiles. Learned the Gentile ways. All this was going to be invaluable when Paul finally was called to be uh, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles, right? He was prepared, is my point. God never creates us without preparing us for a work ministry, right? Look, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. This then becomes one of the spiritual fruits that demonstrates that we are connected to Jesus, that we now desire to serve the Lord, and we desire to serve him out of joy, okay? Not out of duty. Uh, I was talking to somebody after the first service, and he said to me that, you know, true Christian giving and serving has to be done from the heart, it has to be done from the heart. I said, Of course. Of course. That's why I don't get up here and guilt people into serving. Because even if I could guilt you into serving, you're not doing it for out of a love for God. So what's the point? You're not being blessed. Your attitude probably not gonna bless us because it's like yeah, I gotta do that, you know. He pushed the arm to be in the usher ministry uh, you know, or the nursery or something. I don't know. You know, it's like look, when God really touches a person's heart, they want to serve and serve on a joy. Now he said, well, can that be counterfeited? Of course. Absolutely. Serving God, can that be counterfeited? Absolutely. There are many men and women who are hucksters and con artists who are in ministry. Some of, them, some of them even call themselves apostles back in Paul's day and even today. Paul called them out in 2 Corinthians 11 when he said, in verse 13, these people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. God knows the heart. But my point is, though, that Christian service is a fruit of your relationship with Jesus. But the idea is, it's a call. It's not a career. Some people... I met a young guy one time years ago who was a youth pastor in a church somewhere, uh, not a Calvary. And uh, at, at back in those days, early 80s, he was making like, you know, $2,500 a month or even more than that. I thought, wow, that's pretty good money. And that kind of money draws guys into ministry because it's a good career. But folks who are really called, who are saved and called, they serve for free. I mean, not always. I get paid. But most of the people in the body of Christ who serve the Lord, they're just doing it out of a love for Him. It's a really something to see, right? Again, ministry is a call, not a career. It's a fruit of our relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the vine. Look, growing up, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church and all, but I never at any time in my life wanted to be in ministry. I mean, I was a young guy, I wanted to be uh, a business owner, I wanted to make a lot of money, right? Live in a nice house, drive a nice car. It wasn't until the Lord called me. He gave me a heart to serve him and equip me, whom the Lord calls he equips, right? And now, guys, I can't think of doing anything else. Somebody said to me one day are you gonna retire ever? Uh no. <laughs> what am I gonna retire to? Like play golf? I mean, nothing wrong with playing golf. I just I'm not a golfer. Well, can't you do something? Yeah, I could be in ministry. That's, that's what I love to do. That's, that's my hobby. That's my life. You know, it's just, this is just where it's at. And it's God gave me that heart because he called me into this. You don't retire from your call unless physically you're unable to continue. As long as they can drag me in here. On a stretcher, I'll, I'll minister. You know, John the Apostle was 90-some years old. They used to pick him up, four strong guys, pick him up, and I, he would sit in a chair. He's too weak to walk anymore. They'd pick him up in a chair, walk him up to the front of the church. Everyone would, hush. The Apostle John's going to talk. And he'd say, little children, here it comes. Love one another. And then they take him off. He was done. <laughs> was, that's all you need to say, okay? So maybe that'll be me. I don't know. Um, all right, number five. Give you two more. Another fruit, spiritual fruit in our lives that the Father desires to grow in, in us is the fruit of praise and thanksgiving to God. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Therefore, by Him, by the Lord, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, listen the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Old Testament worship, in the Old Testament, the worshiper brought the fruit of his land to God to offer as worship. In the New Testament, the New Testament worshiper offers the fruit of his or her lips to God as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Um, Look, under the New Covenant, God doesn't tell us to bring our animals to him, goats and bulls and, and sheep to sacrifice. But what he does want to hear from us is praise and thanksgiving, right? That's all he wants. Father, thank you for being so good to me and my family. Uh, Praise you for for who you are. You're so righteous and faithful, right? We're so thankful that every day you take such good care of us. What parent would want to hear that from from one of their kids? When that father or mother is working so hard to give them what they need to, to live and a nice place to, to live in and food to eat and so on. As a parent, I never wanted my kids to pay me back. But I'll tell you what, hey, Dad, thank you for working so hard that we could have food in the house and a, and a roof over our head. Boy, that's it. You, well, My kids did that, I was good. I was good. Because that's all a parent wants to hear. It's all God wants to hear. It's a fruit, though, right, of our relationship with him. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you went around singing praise, praise songs to God before you got saved? Now, before we got saved, if we saw anybody praising God, singing, you know, out in the street somewhere <laughs> or somewhere, we used to think, those Jesus freaks are so weird those Jesus freaks are so weird, right? For many years, we had a very dear saint, Julie Q, matriarch of the church. And I remember when she first got here. Later on, she told me. I, I went to church, but I told myself I'm never going to be like one of those Jesus freaks saying, Praise the Lord, <laughs> hugging people everywhere, right? So she comes to church, gets saved. You know, a few months later, here she is running across the sanctuary when a new person comes in, hi, hugs them, praise the Lord. You know, Jesus changes you. He changes you, right? But none of us wanted to praise the Lord before we got saved. It wasn't in us. It just wasn't in us. The psalmist, Psalm 45, verse 1, said it beautifully and simply, my heart is overflowing with praise. Yeah, because when the Spirit of God fills your heart, he so warms your heart with a passion for God, it just bubbles over in praise. Isn't that an evidence that you're born again? Not the only evidence. Maybe not even the most important evidence. But it's definitely a fruit, isn't it? All right. I give you the last one. The last spiritual fruit that the Father is looking for in our lives is the fruit of winning others to Christ. Now, this is a spiritual fruit. Romans 1.13, Paul said, No, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some, listen, fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. And if you read the context, Paul's talking about going to Rome to win souls for Christ. He called it fruit because it was. In John chapter four, Jesus said in verses thirty-four and f- uh, thirty-five and six, "Do not say, therefore, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they for they are already white for harvest." If you read the context, you'll remember what happened. The uh, woman of Samaria had uh, Jesus had confronted her and and witnessed to her, and she runs off to tell her other villagers in Samaria that the Messiah is here, right? And so here they come uh, over the top of the the green grain. It wasn't harvest time yet. Four months till the harvest, Jesus said. But look, the fields are already white to harvest. And I believe he was pointing to the white robes of those Samaritans coming over the top of the hill with the green grain. wasn't ready for harvest, but they were ready. They were ready. And Jesus said, verse 36, He who reaps and receives wages and gathers fruit... For eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together winning people to christ is a fruit a spiritual fruit that god is well pleased with again guys how many of you here had a heart to evangelize the lost before you got saved of course we didn't because we were lost we didn't put any stock in that kind of stuff we even believed in it at all right we didn't have any concern for the lost because Jesus was not in our hearts of the Holy Spirit. The Jesus who said I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. That's my heart. When you got saved a spiritual operation took place. It was a heart transplant. God took his heart and transplanted it into you. And now what he loves you love. What he hates you hate. And what he's all about is saving the lost. And that becomes our passion now too. That's a fruit of our relationship with Jesus. Um, Look, in closing, let me just read to you something Worsby said. We've just talked about different kinds of fruit, right? Worsby said, and I quote, many of these things could be counterfeited by the flesh. Well, we just talked about that. But the deception would eventually be detected. For real spiritual fruit has in it the seeds for more fruit. Man-made results are dead and cannot reproduce themselves. But spirit-produced fruit will go on reproducing from one life to another. There will be fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. End quote. Now look, this morning we've looked at the nature of spiritual fruit. Next week I'd like to look at the necessities of spiritual fruit. But let me just close by saying this. Because I just feel like we, we, I need to kind of lay this out to you guys. And I've done it now a couple times. But a lot of Christians, well, a lot of people going to church today are not all Christians, okay? And they're looking for different things in a church, different messages and things, right? But even among those people who go to church, who are genuine born-again believers. A subject like this is not all that interesting to them anymore. Now look, Jesus said, this is what the Father is looking for. This is what he wants. It's his desire that we bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. So of all the things in the New Testament we should give priority to, it's the idea of knowing what spiritual fruit is, that the father's looking for and how we can produce it more in our lives or how he can produce it more in our lives but but that's not how it is again if we had a marquee out in front and the message was come learn how to bear spiritual fruit i'm convinced most people would go somewhere else for that week because again everything has gotten so man-centered everything has gotten so self-focused how's it going to help me how's it going to make my life better you know How can I walk out of there with a spring in my step because I've been somehow bolstered in my uh, life or or whatever? The whole idea of bearing fruit is we're bearing it for the glory of God but for others to benefit from. And if we're not other-centered, if we're not spirit-filled, this is not going to appeal to us at all. Because self will be on the throne. And self is selfish. And self wants to hear what's going to help self. And yet as we study the subject of bearing fruit, guys, I cannot think of a more important subject to study. That's all we've given it some time. Because Jesus said it was very important. And so we need to devote and and, and, and you know I've as I was preparing this study, I was going over these points myself, doing a little self-evaluation. And I'm looking at these going, well, you know what? I'm not as zealous about this as I once was. This, this Yeah, this is important, but I, I can't say it's it's consuming me with a passion. So what we have to do is we have to get on our faces before God. And we have to say, Lord, why why is my heart not resonating with some of this? Why, why is it that I'm hearing these things right from the word, but it's not stirring my heart to want to bear more fruit? No, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying if it is... And I believe when we get on our faces before God and confess these things, God will begin to stir. He'll begin to stir our hearts. If this is really what we want because it's what he wants, you know that's a prayer he's going to answer. He always answers our prayers when it's he's the focus. How I can better glorify you, Lord. How I can better help others come to know you. But if that, and if that's a desire right now that you want to that, pray, And ask him to begin to do a work in your heart. That when you come to a section like John 15, my goodness, it's all you can do to contain yourself. Is God, this is what you want. This is what I want. Show me what I need to do. And we've tried to give you just some practical steps today. We'll go on next time. There are some hindrances to bearing fruit. And we'll talk about more of those next time, God willing. Father... We thank you, Lord, again for leading us into this series, which we believe is one of the most important we've ever undertaken as a church. Father, give us all a passion to know these things and to live them and to bear more fruit for your glory. Father, we thank you. Stir our hearts. Revive us. We ask this all, Lord, in Jesus' precious name, amen.